0: Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Today's guest is Watini Wayanga. He is a part of the AMEND Men's Movement, which is a healing movement for men. Wah, welcome to the Stick Up. Where'd you grow up and what was your family life like? Yeah, sweet. I grew up in New Zealand. I grew up in a little place called Napier.
1: I had four, siblings, four sisters, sorry, and a brother. So I had lots of siblings to interact with, engage with. Played a lot of sport, in particular rugby. Napier's
0: um, a well-renowned rugby union sort of town, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. It's got lots of history of even All Blacks coming out of it. You know, Hawksbane Magpies have got a good record, especially well back in the days. So it's got a very good reputation for rugby.
0: So was there an expectation of you growing up there or was it you to go on to play rugby or, or did you aspire to be?
1: Yeah, but I probably wasn't more the expectation of, you know, the era that I grew up in. It was probably more so my dad. Mm. Uh, my dad was a very handy uh, rugby union and league player. Um, all My brother played rugby. All of our family members played rugby and I aspired from as far back as I can remember to be an all black. So
0: yeah.
1: it was aspirations to be an all black.
0: What was home life
1: like? I was, this question comes up in most podcasts and stuff. And quite often I'll go straight to the things that are not so nice. Yeah. Um, I always like to, I knew I wanted to preface. I enjoyed my childhood. I did feel loved from both my parents, um, in particular my mum. My mum was my protector. And, you know, that flip side of the coin for. Um, I'd say a lot of people in New Zealand, particularly Māori Pacific Islanders, home life was, there was a lot of chaos. There was lots of drinking, lots of violence. My old man ruled the house, ruled our family, and ruled fucking probably every area of his life with his fists. Yeah, that's a snapshot of my childhood and
0: my home lives. Mm. And because of that sort of dysfunctionality, what was school life like for you? School life,
1: you know, was a double-edged sword where I enjoyed school. Uh, For the most part, I got on with teachers. Teachers, for some reason, always went out of their way to help me. Uh, And the the double-edged sword for that is I was always the little shit causing trouble, getting kicked out of classrooms. Eventually, 14 years old, nearly got expelled from high school. All four of my other friends did. I was grateful that a teacher seen something in me and saved me and went to the principal and said, give this kid one more chance.
0: Um, That's the analogy of life sometimes. That's all some kids need is just that one more chance or just the chance at all. What brought you to Australia? Uh, What brought me to Australia for a good 10 years or so, Russ, I
1: would tell people I came to Australia uh, to pursue my rugby career, which is true. Um, And I've spoken about this at workshops, but never actually in a public forum like this. The core of why I left New Zealand was I was running away from my problems and ultimately I was embarrassed with some of the behaviours I displayed right before leaving New Zealand.
0: What were those behaviours? What were you displaying?
1: Oh, bro, I ended up, I was out drinking one night and come home and walked in to see some things that I don't believe any man wants to see and then lost my cool Mm. with my partner. Mm. ended up getting arrested in the sales for the week and ended up on court on a Monday afternoon and on the front page of the newspaper with the heading, rugby player gets aid for anger problem, which I was fucking highly embarrassed about at the time. Yeah. Hence why I say I ran away
0: from my problems and moved to Australia. And and coming out to Australia, Matt, you come out, did you find your feet playing rugby or rugby league or anything when you got here? Yeah, well,
1: well, I actually rang my, you know, came out of the court system and done all the things that I needed to do and rang my rugby agent at the time and said, oh, I want to lead the country. Can you find me a contract? Probably somewhere in Australia. You know, two days later, he'd found me that contract. So I came over here on contract um, to pursue my rugby career and found my feet quite quickly down here in the Gold Coast, yeah. made some really good friends, established a really positive community to be around. Yeah. I think that was a really good foundation for me to begin. But also is a big part of where I am right now in my life.
0: So to even have a rugby agent, you would have been playing at a pretty highly competitive level.
1: Mm. Yeah, straight out of school, I, I left school and, and was contracted to Waikato. Yeah, um, You're in sw- the
0: Super Thirteens, isn't that is not its that correct?
1: Uh, super Rugby was the next level up. Yeah, uh, I left that to come over here. Mm to pursue my career over here after yeah. running away that's why i ended up on the front page of the newspaper because at the time there were quite a few uh, men probably more specifically rugby players in dv situations so i, I was made i making an example of me hmm.
0: that would have been that would have been really embarrassing for you at the time was it a motivating factor in some of the decisions you started to make as in to get out of there to get away from it what was it? You talk about running away from the problems, but what were those What was those feelings behind those problems? Well, I actually left
1: my hometown uh, at the age of 17, and it was the exact same reason. I was running away from my problems then, and I moved to Hamilton. Mm. And it was the exact same feelings and experience to why I left Hamilton and came to Australia. I realised at the age of 16 or 17, in reflection of my childhood, and what my life looked like and started, to experience and started experiencing other people's lives and hearing stories like, fuck, this is not the only way we get to live life. There's another way. And I just wanted different, bro. I didn't want to be part of the gangs. I didn't want to be in crime and court and violence. And as much as I didn't want that, bro, that's all I ended up in, just time and time again. So I left my hometown, left Australia. I just wanted more for my life and... The motivating factor for leaving Hamilton, bro, and we talk about feelings, was shame and
0: guilt, really. Shame's a horrible slave, isn't it? It's a horrible master slave. I spent a lot of time and in, 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 um, in shame myself about things that happened to me, and my constant thing was to mask it with drugs and alcohol. Were you experiencing the same thing?
1: Yeah, shame and guilt are really big ones for all humans to... Um, No, first and then to navigate through it It has such a low vibration frequency the actual frequency is that just above death yeah so it's so important that we as humans work through it but my mask bro was never really alcohol was never really drugs was work you know do more work because it helps me to avoid what i need to actually address and then if i got to tipping point it was always unfortunate violence with my fists
0: and you're a pretty physical bloke. You're in, in, in really prime, like, a primo sort of shape, you know what I mean? Like, an outlet for me is obviously exercise, you know what I mean? That's always been the thing that calms me. And has it been a big part of your life and your part of your journey? Yeah, it's been a big part of
1: my life since as far back as I can remember. Part of my dad being able to play rugby and go to his training and go to the gym or go for runs and the relationship with my mum was that me and my brother went with him. Yeah. So, four years old, five years old, going to his trainings and watching grown men do it. So it's ingrained into my programming to to train physically.
0: Yeah. And
1: I would say it's been a big part of what has helped me to regulate myself.
0: Yeah. Probably saved my life. Just when you come to Australia, then things that you were running from, did they find you here?
1: 100%
0: they did. 100% they did. You've crashed into those things that you're running from. How did you deal with those things? You get to a point where you can no longer run.
1: Yeah. And I've spoken about this multiple times. There was a definitive time in my life when a specific relationship ended. And I sat at the end of that relationship and reflected and was like, Fuck, it can't be her. Because the same thing keeps happening again and again and again. And it was in that moment. That i made a deep promise to myself that i'm going to understand this human aka me the way i think the way i feel the way i behave and where does all this come from why i wanted to know and understand all of that was because i didn't want this shit to keep happening in my life again and again and again it can't be all these people now
0: this is one common denominator and it was me yeah yeah i get that and same with me it's like and that's that one of the hardest parts in your life is you know, taking ownership, you know what I mean? Going, I'm the fuck up here. You know, no matter what my upbringing was or what I experienced, I am the fuck up. How did you deal with that? That's a profound part of your life when you sit back and go, man, I've got to own this. That's mm. fucking digs deep, huh? Yeah, there's two energies or mindsets that we can play out. There's
1: ownership or blame. And for most part of my life, where I played in blame. And when we play in blame, I'm actually giving my power external to myself which means everything external to me has control of what plays out of my life. And when I take ownership, I'm taking all that power back and saying, yeah, this is all my fault. And when I say it's all my fault, I go, cool. Now I'm back in control of what happens in my
0: life and my reality. I had an incident when I was in prison and my son's stepfather beat him up. And Mm. that was profound. I had to take ownership. I put that kid in that position for that to happen. And, man, fuck, it hurt. It far out, it hurt. And that's that. How did it feel, like, for you? What was that feeling when you go, I am the fuck up. I am, this is me. My actions led me here. Yeah.
1: I mean, there was the initial, because I was still going through the relationship breakdown. So those are the parts that I felt sad about. Those are the parts that I felt shit about. But if I'm going to be completely honest, Rory, what you're speaking to, the question you're asking me, it actually made me feel empowered. It's like, fuck, okay, I fucked up, which means when I understand me, I get to change this. Yeah. And I do that in that moment without even having much awareness of who I was.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's a beautiful feeling. I get it is because that, that feeling of knowing I can change this, I'm empowered to do this. Mm. What was your game plan to do it? Bro, I was
1: blessed enough. At the time, I was working at a behavioural school for boys who had been exempted from mainstream schooling. Fuck, that's a joke. Gen- how, did, how did you end up there? I talked earlier about that teacher who, when I got kicked out, all my mates got expelled and I was getting expelled as well and he saved me. Mm. Um, when I was 20, bro, I needed a bone marrow transplant. Wow. I was in hospital for nine months.
0: Was that I, through, was that a cancer or what was it? Yeah, blood cancer. So yeah. all my blood groups were. I uh, was surprised that I wasn't dead when I was in hospital. Man, let's let's backtrack to that. I want to get yeah. back to that now. So what's going on? What what, what was the, the sequence?
1: Yeah, I was playing footy for that uh, for the Gold Coast uh, team down here, and when I turned up, I was super fit. Mm. And within months, I was struggling to run 100 meters. And the coach said to me, bro, I think you need to go and get some blood tests done. And I'll send you my doctor. And I went and got some blood tests done, bro. And he said, I'll come back and see me tomorrow at lunchtime. I'll have the results back. Six o'clock the next morning, he rang me and said, is there anyone with you? And I said, yeah, my partner's here. Why is that? And he goes, you need to go straight to the Gold Hospital but you can't drive. And I was a pretty stubborn person back then. I said, I'm not fucking going anywhere to tell me what's going on. So he gave me a brief overview of what he thought it would be. And I drove to the hospital, bro. They put me to sleep. Epidural. And within a couple of hours, they diagnosed me and said I needed a bone marrow transplant. What was the diagnosis? So I was diagnosed with aplastic anemia, which is, is a very rare disease, bro. Hmm. At the time, there was only 70 people in Australia that had it. That- and that's what your bone marrow kills all of your blood groups. So most will only take a specific one, but this one took, killed out all my babies, my reds, my whites, and my platelets. Uh, so I was given all these treatment plans and all this and that. I spent the next nine months in hospital. Well, firstly, my brother or my sisters weren't a bone marrow match, so I didn't have a related bone marrow match, so it was more safe to go through the treatment plan. Hence why I spent nine months in hospital, um, doing what I had to do to get better.
0: Now, that, I've talked to a few people that have went through cancer treatments and everything like that. They talk about the depth that mind takes you to when you're in that situation. Can you explain that? I remember when I got diagnosed, I
1: woke up from being put to sleep and having get an epidural and all the other tests they needed to do. And my fam- some of my family were there, my three children were there, and they were telling me all the things that I needed to know. And where I wasn't even listening to them, I just said, oh, when can I play rugby again? And I spoke again and then I said, Oh yeah, but all I want to know is like when can I play rugby again? And the specialist said, Mate, you would never play rugby again. You're literally fighting for your life. I don't think you understand how serious this is.
0: And it was in that moment I was like, Oh fuck. Do you I should think see that fight if you Do you think your coping mechanism obviously was escapism? You're running away you're diverting. Do you reckon that was the case? With the running.
1: And all I wanted to do was get back to work and start training
0: again what I've done my entire life, work, 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 to avoid what actually needed to be addressed. Wow, it's pretty deep, man. And out of that whole thing, what did you learn about yourself going through that whole process? How powerful my mindset is. I've been told
1: time and time and time again by specialist after specialist. Even the leading specialist of my diagnosis who comes from the Netherlands, she comes to Sydney every year. She was saying all these things. And I would always embrace and take on the professional knowledge of these people and then come back to my heart space and make my own decision. Mm. I went against most, for the most part, went against everything they said. I was always about, I'd rather live a shorter time with, with higher quality as opposed to a longer time with less quality. Um, so I still um, go back to the specialist every six months unless um, things go wrong, they shorten it down to monthly. Every time I go back, my doctors, my specialists just... I've uh, all the odds of what all the other patients are currently you know,
0: going through, which most of them are still bedridden. Doctor Joe Dispenser's is massive on it about how you heal yourself with, through your mind, and he's backing it up with scientific proof. And you know, how did your mind play a part in your healing? Yeah, well, you
1: know, a lot of people talk. I firstly talk about ego. You know, people make their ego so wrong, but ego is actually a really beautiful thing in certain spaces, times, and places in our lives, and. For me, in this experience, it really served me. You know, I was telling I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. And my ego showed up and was like, fucking watch me. And yes, that was part of my conditioning from my childhood. But in this specific instance, it served me. Um, And like I said, I'd take up all the information that would be shared with me, come back to my heart space. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And I would trust, truly trust and believe that the decision that I was making was the right one for me. Therefore, in my mind, I truly believed I was going to be healthy through the decision I made. And I've proven that time and time and time again
0: with my health
1: and the way I live my
0: life. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's, there's a lot in it, man. And just let's talk about the process that you're stepping out like you're getting better and better and better. When you step out of hospital after nine months, what's going on? And where does gratitude play a part in it all? Mm-hmm a lot shifted me in that experience of not being
1: well or or completely healthy where my life was like rugby was number one above anything and everything and that included my relationship that included my children rugby was number one and i realized in this experience that actually rugby is so insignificant but there is so much more that i get to be grateful for and it was through that nine months that i just learned and now embody the deepest gratitude for every single 24 hours that I'm alive, that I wake up. And I'm a massive believer that when I'm completely grateful for what I have, you know, I'll, I'll have more to be grateful for. Yeah. So I've learned gratitude at
0: its deepest. Gratitude's a conduit to peace and happiness. I get up every morning I write my five things that I'm grateful for. and I notice throughout the day the things I'm writing about being grateful, there seems to be more of it turning up.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's a vessel to receiving too. Yeah. It's, it's, it opens the doors to receiving. The more grateful I am, the more open I am to receiving, therefore I will receive.
0: How much is spirituality? Like a lot of the Pacific Islander boys are deeply religious. Do you identify as being deeply relig- religious? Yes. Yeah.
1: And in the past I would have said no, and probably even more recently I would have said no, nah, to the point – my culture is very religious and very spiritual. I would say even spiritual leaders in this world. Mm. And, you know, so I, I learned that I was I was exposed to that as a child. And then as I grew through my teenage years and adult years, I was like, oh, fuck God and fuck all these things. And then I've come back to, to spirituality and I've come back to where all of this um, energy that's bigger than me to the point where I started calling it source and universe, which it 100% is. Yeah, same. That's what I was always resistant to use the word God. Yeah, yeah. Because God is attached to all these negatives from from my experience. Yeah, yeah. And I met these beautiful men um, over in Tokyo recently who were from America. And we sat for five or six hours in this restaurant talking around. It was one of the most beautiful conversations I've ever experienced. And they spoke about God and openness, and I was like, fuck. A big message for me here is that, yes, the bigger energy is universe and source, and I now get to take complete ownership, but that's God, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, so, yeah, I'm very, a, very spiritual, bro. Right? It's a tag. From my own perspective, the universe is really fucking kind to me when I acknowledge that this just ain't me. Mm. This just ain't me. This is something wanting more, wanting me to be more like, I remember being suicidal, man, and um, you know what I mean? I hung in there, I just that universe just stopped, stopped me from knocking myself, just put all these things in place that it couldn't happen. And, um, and I'm so grateful. I acknowledge it. And that, I don't know, that connection is just a special connection that you feel. It's like, it's like a warm hug that you get from the universe. And it's such a beautiful feeling. It's such a healing feeling. And um, does that resonate with you? Resonates with me deeply,
1: and you know, a word that's thrown around, especially in self development and self growth, you know, the self growth world is trust.
0: Mm. You
1: know, and I think this is a really um, great example to use if you're truly trusted. Like, none of us have ever seen God and mm. all the things, but when you actually truly trust in that higher power source, universal God. That's a really good um, way to gauge whether you actually trust or not. Because we can't see it. Mm. Now, I can see this cup in front of me, so I trust it's there. Mm. But when we start trusting in something that our human eyes can't see, it's like, oh, okay, now you're
0: really playing in the realm of trust. It's that you can't can't see oxygen, but I know it's there. You know, mm. and it's that I don't know. Is this it's for for me it's always fine, it's like I I never feel alone when I've got the universe, God, whatever in my life. I never feel alone. I just, I don't know. I haven't felt lonely since I've embraced that.
1: Mm, yeah, bro, I get that. And I also think a big part of that is like because, you know, and I know part of your story, Russ, and I've watched a lot of your stuff, and it's like a, a lot of the people are different
0: in, in my experience that are lonely is because they were too afraid to actually meet themselves. That's important, isn't it? It's really important. It's a big part of your own story. What did you find when you actually met yourself? That
1: I was actually a really beautiful person
0: because mm. I had this
1: fucking core belief that I was a beast and just a piece of shit. Mm.
0: And do you think that comes from your upbringing?
1: Like- yeah. You know, I watched this, a man that I fucking adored so much, my dad, um, and, and every aspect of who he is. And as I grew older, there were big parts of him that I did not like and did not want to become. And as much as I did not want to become those things, I fucking became every single ounce of those things. And because those are the parts that I hated so much about him, I now see them in myself. And I identified only as that part. Therefore, I hated myself in the same way that little
0: boy hated that, that man. And you didn't see the beautiful parts of your mother that are in you.
1: Yeah, absolutely, bro. Both my parents are beautiful, and my mum is such a soft, nurturing lady. And at the same time, we talk about conditioning, and I, I was became aware of this you know, a few years ago, where I actually didn't trust women because mm. mum would take us out of the home and, and remove us. But hear her having all these conversations about we're not going back, we're not going back, and then the following week we're back in the van driving back straight back into the same environment again and again. So unconsciously I was building this mistrustful woman that are supposed to protect us but they keep taking us back to that unsafe environment
0: yeah so you come out of there you had a bit of healing to do do you think that the the diagnosis with the the bone marrow was the beginning of your healing journey do you think it was that place where you, the universe god put you in a position where mate you got to do you've got to do something here
1: no, I don't believe that it was the beginning of my healing journey. I believe the beginning of my healing journey was when I had my first son. Yeah, wow. Well, f- I was 15 and his mum was 15 years old. I found Far out she I was And then this little boy was born. I was just still a kid myself, bro. I thought I was a man at the time. And I look back at photos and I'm like, fuck. I still looked like a kid.
0: Yeah.
1: a Little kid in my arms. And he was such a blessing, bro, because previous to him, I hated the world. I hated humans. I hated myself. I had zero care for anyone or anything. And that's how I seen the world, and that's how I lived in the world. And then I remember looking down at him and the first time, I was like, pretty scared. I was actually not pretty. I was very scared. And I thought, fuck, I've got to love this kid. Mm. Man, I actually have to change because I've got to care about someone now. So in that
0: moment, you know, not really knowing, things shifted inside of me. Because I'm a big believer in love, is the antidote for trauma. Mm. And through your son, that's when the healing sort of begins Because you you know, you're learning what love is. To give love, yeah. you gotta know, you gotta know, you gotta have you know, you gotta love yourself to be able to give love. Do you, do you believe in that? Absolutely, bro. Love is love is the only thing, really. So
1: I agree with, uh, with everything you're saying regarding you know, love as an antidote to trauma. And I don't believe from my experience and what I downloaded and received as a kid that I even knew what love was. Hmm. But when I looked at, at that little boy holding him in my fucking hands because he was so little, I was like, oh, that, that's my first experience of love when I was 16 years old. Wow. Just, man,
0: that's amazing because that whole thing, when you witness domestic violence and that's meant to be a mum and dad and that's meant to be love, you think that love don't look like much fun when you're seeing someone who you love, well, you know, perpetrate domestic violence. It doesn't Love doesn't look fucking palatable, does it, when you see it through the eyes of a domestic violence?
1: You know what, Russ, bro, that became my version of love. Yeah, That's what I actually thought love was and that played out in my two relationships previous to my last one yeah you know although it didn't look the same with the business stuff it looked the same with the words
0: yeah yeah
1: you know the breaking up the leaving the house and coming back you know one of my biggest coping mechanisms in life or one of my deepest wounds was the abandonment one. and a coping mechanism for that was leave them before they leave you yeah unfortunately what my partner's experienced were the words and the, the behaviours and the feelings behind that was like, well, fuck off if you don't like it. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted for them to do was fuck off. There was an abandonment when speaking for me. I actually wanted them to be with me, but I was so fucking afraid that they, they were going to leave me like everyone else did, that I'll fucking
0: abandon shit before you do. Wow, that's that's profound. That really – I I relate to that, you know. I had – um, I grew up – my parents, oh, man, they'd just done their best, you know, and they um, – my mum worked late at night. I never used to see her because she was always sleeping because she worked night shift. And I grew up and I always, I always felt alone. I always fucking felt that, you know, and this is, this is going to be life, you know what I mean? I always just had imaginary friends and all that sort of stuff that give me, I guess, you know, solace. But talk us through the whole process, what happened here in Australia, when you really started to come in and, and, and you went on the search. Because you've got an amazing journey. You've- I've always had this want
1: for like, what else is out there? Very um, open-minded child. Um, there has to be something different out there, and anyway, I came to Australia. And like I mentioned earlier, bro, that school that I went to work at, mm. it's a very different school. Man, and to give some insight to different, they start every single day with meditation. That's different. They do breath work. The school's like 35 years old now. They've done this. And the school is, yes, educational base, but first and foremost, human values. Yeah. Teaching young boys how to be a good human. Yeah. So I went there to help kids because I've always had a heart for misfits because I was the misfit. Yeah. But that's helped me to start like using the words love and even practicing meditation. I was like, when I first rolled up to that school, I was like, I'm not fucking doing this meditation shit. And then over some time, I was like, actually, this is really cool. And then started to do it with the board. So that was my first experience of exploration of internal. And then that relationship broke down. And then I started to see a counselor, um, started going to actually paying attention when I was going to these self-development workshops that our workplace was putting us through. Because uh, I knew this was going to help me. And then I started to look around at my friendship groups. And I was – community is everything. And the people you spend time with is exactly who you will become.
0: Yeah. So I started to become more conscious of who I was spending time with. Um, so you picked up a bit of this by default because, of, you know, your workplace. I find it – I get, you know, I, I get something that feels nurturing and warm and I go, geez, that felt good. I want a bit more of that. Mm you know and I see it in you I see this guy that I don't know I'm actually it would have been different a few years ago but there's definitely this guy that has this really beautiful soulful inner piece that's authentic and genuine mm,
1: thank you my brother I appreciate that
0: yeah you really do it's it's inspiring and I and I, I point a lot of people to your stuff and I say here's a bloke because I you know I know about your your your, your past and everything and what you've achieved and Man, how did it feel? Just gradually getting pieces and pieces of that, like the little the puzzle is coming together. And what are you seeing as the puzzle comes together?
1: Um, what I'm seeing is everything that I've experienced—the heartache, the pain, the health conditions, um, the trauma—was actually all part of the puzzle. I needed to experience that to go to the depths of myself. So that now that I'm understanding it all, it's part of the puzzle. And what the puzzle is is this is my purpose, bro. Hmm. Purpose in this human experience is to help people to understand themselves. Because when we understand ourselves, we bring choice back into our own lives. How so important that- is choice? That. How important is choice? Well, choice is everything. You know, um, either I'm choosing life, or life is choosing me. Yeah. For most part of my life, life was just choosing me. And where was it choosing from? It was choosing from what my parents had ta- taught me, what I was exposed to uh, in my environment, and what my culture had taught me.
0: Yeah.
1: That was just on repeat. So, yeah, people talk about generational cycles. That's what it is. Um, but when I understand and learn about what's going on internally for me, I bring choice back in. And the choice is, do I want to continue those cycles or do I want to change them? And I 100% want to change them for the most important person in my world, and that is me, and then secondly, for my fucking children. But I want my children to live a completely different life
0: so to what I lived, and they have, and I want that to keep expanding for them as well. Yeah, it's important choice. I chose my misery. I chose that jail cell. I chose when that screw bashed me. I, I chose that. I chose that, and that acceptance around that, you know, and that importance. To break that cycle, what does it take to break the cycle that Understand. intergenerational stuff? understanding yeah followed with that and couple with that is acceptance and then action. so someone like you you've got some, some bloke now that's went through or woman or a man that's went through what you went through the domestic violence and you know, self-doubt and that sort of stuff. What advice do you give to them to say, man, this is what these are the steps you've got to take to break that intergenerational cycle? What are the steps? Yeah, well, yeah, in a
1: nutshell, first and foremost, these past experiences that people think oh, I just don't think about them anymore. I guess I'm here to tell you, yeah, but those things that you're not thinking about are still controlling your life in the subconscious, and, yeah, yeah, and until we go back and complete those emotional processes from those experiences that you are avoiding that will continue to rule your life. So it's important that we take our vessels, our bodies back to rid of those experiences to complete the emotional process that are incomplete. And in that experience of doing that, I would always explore what the unmet needs were of that usually child, sometimes adult.
0: Mm.
1: Now as an adult, it's now my responsibility to meet the, the unmet needs. And when I'm meeting those unmet needs, I'm healing the wound within. And when I heal the wound within, I'm creating all this beautiful space within me to then put in what I want. Okay, what do I want? Okay, I need to get really clear on what I want in my life. And then to start to have practices and routines that are in alignment with that, to fill that space up. Because if I don't fill that space up, then it'll be backfilled with what's back over here.
0: It's making peace with it. I get it because that's what we have a tendency do. And I've done a, a big part of my life, i disassociated the events that caused me the trauma. Mm. Let's talk about the work you do with a men movement because it, it ties in what you're just talking about now. And how did the, the men movement sort of kick off?
1: Mm. We were doing the work well before 2019. Um, a lot of people probably put my face and name to the founder of the men movement. And there was actually officially two other brothers who started a men with me. And then if we want to be completely honest, like there was a whole group of us, bro, I would say 50 men Mm. that started a men movement across Australia and New Zealand. And it was just mates. We jumped in a Zoom call one night and spoke about all these things and and kicked off. And what we were all wanting was just bucket. I'm sitting here sharing my story, and I could get, get all those 50 men that were in that Zoom call mm. to share the story. And very soon, there's so much trauma, so much chaos. And we all just want to different, not only for us, but for our families, and then extend
0: that out further to people outside of our own circles. And you've sort of entwined some culture into it. I, I, I love what you're doing. I love. The father and son stuff that you guys do. I love I, I just I love everything about what you're doing. And I'm gonna do one of your groups with you and maybe various. I love it. I love what you're doing. I love, you know, the importance of healing and what it brings to it, it creates a safer society, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, it absolutely
1: does. Bro. Um I think, man, you've had this conversation before where I've caught some heat in regards to the men that we've um, facilitated workshops for. You know, so if we don't facilitate workshops for them, who, who's going to? These are the people that you're complaining about that are causing trouble out in the communities, and we're trying to support these, I believe, beautiful men. Yes, they've got some behaviours like a lot of us do that are mm. really not socially acceptable, but we're here trying to help them to understand themselves and heal through past traumas so that they can Create internal safety,
0: therefore external safety for society and communities. Because so I always say this: you show me a man with propensity for violence, I'll show you a traumatized man. You show me a person that's got a an underlying issue of drug addiction, I'll show you a traumatized person. You show me a person that's got under, the underlying self harm, and that's a traumatized person. I think by dealing with what <coughs> you're doing, your men movement are making society a safer place because we're creating healed people. What's the process for these people? Like, if someone starts, comes to the amend group, what? what just can you walk us through the process of what goes on? Starting the process to be connected with us. You know, most people come through a
1: one-day workshop. Um, some people come through our online brotherhood. And we're always in, and always will be big on creating a safe foundation because, like you just, you know, everything led back to tra- a traumatised person. And for someone to actually dive deep into that trauma, they've got to feel safe. 100%. So at our workshops and retreats and online platforms, it's just all about creating safety, bro. And then ultimately, listening.
0: Well, I'm a big believer in words and tears. I think we're built like pressure cookers. Pressure cookers got a release valve on the top of it. It stops it from exploding, yeah? yeah. That's The steam comes out. We've got the same with our tears and with our words. And I think... How engaging, like someone's doing a group and you've got other men telling their stories. And I think it's just by example what you guys do. What you guys do is amazing. Like I've seen some of the, like some of the stuff there and, it's, and everyone I know that's done your group have come on and they've been blown away by it. They, they some big spiritual experience and they went, wow. Mm. How does that make you feel as a man that knowing you're having that impact on people's lives?
1: It makes me feel very proud. It makes me feel very grateful that I've been blessed with the experiences and the knowledge to be passed on. And it makes me feel very connected because
0: I once was that man who's now grateful for the space that we created. It's a beautiful thing, man. It's definitely so proud of it. Like, and it's funny how, like, we talk about God, universe, whatever. You and Jay were on... TikTok once and you're trying to sort something out and I just thought oh, i will just seen you struggling I'll jump in and and that connection that's universal that's that's not that's not a fluke or anything like that. that's God saying yeah, man you've got to connect and I had a tough Christmas I went for a really fucking tough Christmas and I don't mind saying I relapsed on drugs and and I just I listened to what you guys had to say and I was fascinated and I went back and looked at some of your, your content and went far away. And we'll get to do a lot. You and I will get to do a lot in the future together. And what's the importance of networking, you think?
1: Networking networking's is really – I think men – I say men because I work with men who are open to networking are very powerful men and I would say even healed men. Hmm. There was a time that I wasn't open to networking. Why? Because I was so scarce and I was, I was unhealed. And I didn't want people to come into my space. I felt unsafe. Mm. As I heal and I grow and I become more self-empowered, I'm like, oh, i oh, I'd love to network and connect with other men who are doing similar things. And we get to expand the energy out to more and more people in a more powerful form as well. I think it's really important and it's so needed.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I'm a big network. I'll tell If I come across a good thing, I want to tell everyone. I want to share – it's not even – it's not a secret. I just want to share the blueprint. I think – I live by the motto that you can't keep what you've got unless you give it away. It's a recovery sort of cliché. What's the importance of giving it away? I always say, you know,
1: what – let's go for knowledge, for example. There's This knowledge that has been passed on to me is not mine. Mm. It's mine to share with others. And when we're completely grounded and centered as i'm just simply a vessel and a human form and when i'm clear the message of, of my purpose will come straight through me and straight out and land on the people that that it needs to land with yeah
0: you've got a beautiful story you've got a beautiful soul brother you really have you've got this you're not a you're a big physical sort of guy in really good shape but you've got this beautiful calmness and there's a there's vulnerability there's 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 not a lot of ego like attached to you, you're not not trying to portray yourself as some big macho guy or anything like that. You're just fucking Mr. Cool, man. You're fucking one of the coolest dudes I know. And I think that has an attraction to a lot of men. You see this big physical guy that's willing to be vulnerable, that's willing to be real, because a lot of people don't want to be real no more. Everyone's been a bad version of someone else. Mm. Yeah, thank you, bro. I appreciate that.
1: And I'd done the years of wearing the mask of I'm the tough guy, I will fight anyone, I'm not scared of anything. where for a lot of the time, I was actually really fucking afraid. Yeah. So it's often the I, case, isn't it? Yeah. When I talk about it, got exhausting, bro. There were many times that I well, – not many. There were a handful of times that I attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. That was ultimately because I was so exhausted from wearing all these masks trying to protect myself. So now that those masks have been removed and I can just be soft and loving – uh, it feels more free, bro, as opposed to that exhausting feeling.
0: I love that that word freedom. I love it. I, I, I you know, I spent a lot of time in prison, and I really want the ultimate free. And, and freedom comes in an open mind. Um, yeah, absolutely.
1: But, you know, and this is all across social media. You talk about prison, the actual physical prison. It's like how many people are actually in prison inside of their own mind? Like. Yeah.
0: Any of us, and I experienced, you know, a good at least half of my life imprisoned in my own mind. I used to say that the prison officers in prison, like when I was in jail, I used to look at some of them that were so narrow-minded, I'd say, "You're in a worse prison than I'll ever be in, because you're in the prison of a narrow mind." And it's that's a crazy place to be. Racist people that are racist. They're imprisoned by narrow-mindedness. I see that. Pretty, it's just crazy that this society and this people that won't acknowledge. I love people that go, "You know what?" I, I love vulnerability is the new sexy for me, you know what I mean, and that's what your groups are all about. Is look, come here, we create a safe place, and how do you create that safe place for people to be vulnerable? Because that's a tough, that's a tough place to bring people into. Yeah, communication first, and you said earlier about I love that you brought some
1: culture into it. Our Maori protocols, yeah, are what, help us to lay that foundation of safety,
0: mm.
1: and the, I would say the big thing, bro, is story. Yeah. When, when we start to be open and vulnerable about about our experiences of life, there are so many men in the room. You can just see it on their faces and their body language, like, bing, bing, lights are going off. Like, holy fuck, that's me, that's me, that's me. And story is one of the most powerful
0: ways to connect with other human beings. I agree. Through music, you get the great storyteller musicians and, and they take you on a journey. And it's like a video. I love that when someone can talk about their story and you can imagine that whole story like you're watching a movie and then they take you through the good, the bad parts, and then the good parts, the happy ending part of it. Not so much the happy ending part, but the part where it gets good, where it becomes a good memory. What's the good memories going on in your life today? Like, you know what I mean? Your your daily life is about creating memories, you know? Yeah, memories are the most valuable. They're actually priceless. Yeah.
1: So I have created a life. That is my, what I call my life of richness. When I started to create this life of richness, I realized that I actually got caught up in what society deemed rich to be. Mm. You know, the things that you're successful or, or rich if you have what society tells you you should have. And I was quite quick on noticing, them. am like, oh, yeah, that stuff's cool, but that's not rich for me. Yeah. Like I'm so big on time. We hear this quite often everywhere. You know, time is the most valuable energy we have. And for me, it truly is. You know, when you've experienced near death twice, you truly understand that it's actually the most valuable source of energy that we have. So I value that so much. and. I'm big on community and the people that I spend time with and sharing energy. I love traveling. I just got back from you know, five weeks of traveling overseas and I love spending time with my children when I want. So I'm very big on having choice in, in my daily life.
0: And, and gratitude, hey? Is that that? that? Man, I, I, you know, I love this word gratitude. It's my favorite thing. It's my, it's my energy. And when we live this grateful life, we live a life.
1: Mm. yeah it's so simple hey bro
0: that is so simple
1: it's so simple you know and I've got a lot of friends who will sit and I'm grateful for this I'm grateful for this I'm grateful for this and I said but bro did you bypass or did you couple your heart space with those thoughts because just some feedback what I experienced was that just all came from mind 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 Mm. it's like did you actually slow down to allow those thoughts and those words that you're speaking to sink down into your heart space and then allow your body to actually feel the gratitude for everything you just spoke because it's then that our vessel actually starts to open and when we're completely open for so much more of what we're grateful for just floods us.
0: And I love that feeling when you feel that gratitude running in your veins. I, I can feel it running through my body and every cell in my body and I'm just going and I'm really in it and it it lights me up. It mm. lights me up. It's such a beautiful thing that really ingra- you know, embrace gratitude. I really want to get into a lot of stuff with you. Do some breath work and maybe even line it up. How do people find you? How do we get in contact with you? With what? Especially- yeah, we're all over, I think, most social media
1: platforms now under Amend Movement. website is www.amendmovement.com and our admin email is info at amendmovement.com. Instagram, um, TikTok? Yeah, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Threads, YouTube. Isn't that? Isn't any that, places that, as you can, bro, just so that, you know, that platform might meet the person that really needed to hear that message
0: in that, that specific moment. We want to uh, give you a follow on Insta. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, i in underscore movement, and mine's just Watanewainga. And mine's Russell underscore man. So, so look out for us because we're going to be doing a bit on Instagram and, and TikTok and where we've initially met. And mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here, my brother. I really, I just love your story. I love your calmness. I love your authenticity. It's, you're just such a beautiful human being and it's such a blessing to this world. A lot of people, a lot of families are going to get their siblings back because of your knowledge and your willingness to have dug deep and challenged yourself. And you're just a credit to the world, my brother.